0: Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. It's. time
1: Hey, this is Matt Lesher. This is Phil Lamar.
2: Hey, this is Rodmore Taylor, aka the Penguin Gotham. You are listening to Geek Vibes Live. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome everyone to another amazing episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. As always, I am your host, Tia, and today we are actually going to be doing the Top 10 Moments from the Umbrella Academy. Now I know we did a review show not too long ago, but whenever you do a review show, yes, you touch upon some great, amazing moments, but the Top Ten is really here to highlight those just great, great little, like, moments from the show, which just premiered on Netflix not too long ago. It is... I I really expected not to even watch this show, to be honest with you guys. It felt maybe a little too... not teen bopper, but that's what I got from at least the posters and stuff. But upon watching... The show is completely not at all what I originally intended it to be, and that is a fabulous thing because the music, the action, the character development, all great, and we're going to be going through that, but before I do, I have to introduce my co-host right now. Ryan, how are you doing?
0: Hey, what's going on, guys? Fucking, uh, well, if you're not in New York, it's probably a lot more beautiful than New York right now, but yo, what's going on, guys? (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, in New York, Ryan, it is pretty cold. I just it's heard not to, beca- not to become not to become a weatherman, but I heard it's going to be like fifty mile per hour winds tonight or something like that. It is just insane. I, I just can't shocked. wait. <laughs> I just can't wait for the spring to happen. But
1: uh, for
2: ri- for right now, it just seems like it's going to be Ryan and I, which I have no problem with because Ryan couldn't wait to join on to talk about the Umbrella Academy. So I'm just going to say let's dive into this list. And, Ryan, you got the number 10 spot.
0: All right. So, like, first off, th- I was so excited for this show. I think I might have put this in our top 10 anticipated list a few months ago, a few weeks or months ago, whichever one it was. I'm not sure, though, but if it was on that list, it should have fucking been on that list because this show is fantastic. I love everything about the show, but that, that's, I'm not doing a review, but for like number 10, I want to put like each character's introduction in the first episode, because it gives us a nice gist of the characters we're working with, what happened to all of them, one died, one got stuck in the future, and then all of them, except for the number one, decided not to stick around, and number one decided to stick around, became a lab experiment, and they give it a very sympathetic feeling with all the characters, and I just love it. It's such a great moment, and I'm not big on, like, the the little maybe five-minute character intros to give you a brief description of them, but since this is a TV show, I'll let it go because I have more time to flesh out the characters than a movie does, but that's just my personal opinion to you. <sighs>
2: Uh, yeah, I definitely have to agree. I love the little introductions with these characters. They all have their kind of specific moments, their specific powers. Don't you agree, though, Ryan, that you wish that you found out what killed Ben? It really is bothering me that we still don't know why is Ben not I, here. Because I see-
0: feel like we'll never know. I feel like we'll never know with the ending of the season, because I feel like they're going back in time. And if you notice, Ben was holding hands with everyone, too. And I'm pretty sure they noticed him. So I feel like he's going to be a, a much bigger character in season two. Hopefully it doesn't get canceled. I hope not. I hope there's a season two. Because it feels fucking awesome.
2: I really hope that there's a season two. I mean, not to be salty, because you know, Ryan, that I bring this up yeah. all the time. But with yeah. all the with all the Marvel cancellations and the fact that a lot is being pulled from Netflix, I think I just heard that all the CW shows are getting pulled from Netflix because Maybe they're just gonna go to others
0: is making their own uh, streaming service now. That's what I but, heard.
2: Does, but doesn't that kinda not make sense that they're gonna have a separate well, okay. I should correct myself. I'm hearing, I think, Kanan told us that the Warner Brothers streaming service is going to kind of merge with DC Universe, because to me, it makes no sense that they were going to have two separate DC streaming services. That's what I thought. They
0: They should have just put all the CW shows on the DC Universe in the first place. I'm kind of shocked that they didn't in the first place, but they should totally do it because it makes the most sense. And fun little fact about the DC Unit TV Arrowverse. Apparently there's a little rumor going around that um, after next season, Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow are finally getting canceled so that they can bring in a new wave of people, if that makes sense. Just a little fun fact. I don't know if it's true. It's just like speculation between people and it's reported, but I, I can actually see it kind of happening even though I don't want to get into this territory because it's about my my boo, boo, the Umbrella Academy, but yeah, yeah that, that's
2: it. <laughs> Absolutely, I know. I don't want to stray too far away, but that is the rumor yeah. that I'm hearing about it. So we'll just have to see. But kind of reeling it back. I really hope that Netflix decides to continue on with the Umbrella Academy. The reason it, why I it's think that a it, show. the reason why not only is it a great show, but the reason why I think that it's going to continue on is while. Netflix seems to be losing not only its Marvel content but its DC content. Uh, Umbrella Academy is from Dark Horse, and it seems like um, Netflix is trying to make partners with other uh, maybe not lesser-known comic book uh, branches, but, you know, not as mainstream as Marvel and DC because they just made a, uh, a deal with, I forget the other guy's name, Miller or something, and they're going to bring a bunch of his shows on oh, or movies Tim Miller? Or whatever. Miller? Uh, Yeah, from, like, Jupiter's Legacy or something like that. So I think that's why the Umbrella Academy could have a chance. So if they do do a second season, which I'm so hoping for, I really wish that we can see what's going on with Ben because it seems a waste to just have him as a character that just seems to ride around with Klaus because Klaus can obviously see the dead. So... Just I, feel, saying. I feel
0: like they purposely did that, uh, giving him a bigger reveal for season two and a bigger character than uh, what they gave him in season one. Because for someone who's quote-unquote dead, they heavily put him in a story for it to be unnoticed.
2: Right, absolutely. So I really hope that as they go back to the past and they kind of – rewrite their own history that maybe they even are able to avoid whatever kills them, which I my theory
0: yeah.
2: is my theory is honestly that he kind of not killed himself, that sounds extreme, but whatever's inside of him maybe like ripped him apart or something. Because it's some sort of like um Monster. octopus type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, they keep yeah, hinting to the fact, they keep hinting to the fact that it was like a horrible, horrific, horrific death or something. So I don't know, but um, I, I think that number ten being the characters' introductions is a great way to start off this show because every character was just amazing. Really quick, Ryan, who is your favorite character on the Umbrella Academy?
0: It's between number five and Cloud. Those are my two favorites because Klaus I can relate with the most because I'm, I'm that guy in, like, a friend group with a family that I wouldn't say doesn't take everything so seriously, but I joke around about a lot of things. But then I really like number five because he's, like, the most fucking badass little 12-year-old you've ever seen. And his, his story, I want to get into it later, but I love his story about him jumping into the future and all that, finding that one true love of his life. So I, I've been stuck with the both of them and not only that, but because they both time traveled by accident too. So they're both a little scarred from it too. So I, I thought yeah. I like both of them, so I'm stuck at both of them. What about you Tia? Um uh,
2: I kinda have to agree. I love Klaus so much just because he's just He's a mess, but like an amazing mess, and he pulls exactly. through in the end, and I really like that. And number five really just captured me throughout the season, so I, I do have to preach that I love. It. First of all, you can and we talked about this a little in the review show that we did that was number five with that actor, which I don't know his name right now. Um, you can tell that he's like an old man trapped in a young kid's body. Like that's not even like fake or something. You can like really like feel that from them. So just yeah. fantastic job on the actor's part. Um. What, so, what character just,
0: did you hate the most real quick since we're doing that?
2: What character did I hate the most? I feel like I'm going to get kind of like some shit. I feel like me and you're going to have the same answer. I feel like me and you're going to have the
0: same answer. What's I
2: don't got? know now. Um. At first it was kind of a tie between Diego and Vanya. Um, and, and I'll only say this because, first of all, I hated the way that Diego really kind of ostracized Vanya. I understand that she wrote a book and that no one really liked that because it spills everyone's secrets. But as, as a girl who's being told how ordinary she is her whole life by her father and has all these super-powered siblings, I, you know, felt for her in, at a moment. So I, I didn't like that Diego treated her that way. He definitely redeemed himself throughout the season. I just didn't like him at first because he had to be the brooding guy who didn't want anything to do really with his family and yada, yada, yada. So that's why I didn't like him. And then Vanya I started not liking towards the end for kind of obvious reasons. Um, I just hated that what she did to Allison. So that was kind of what my problem was with her. But what are what are your two least favorite characters?
0: All right. So if you think you're gonna get shit, I'm definitely gonna get shit for this. Anya and Allison, the two the two uh, women of the group. I I thought they would. The character development between the two of them was was so bad. Diego, I can get, but like. At least he had a story driving him. The whole time throughout the series, all you heard Allison say was, oh, he took my daughter from me. I only used my powers on her once. I'm just like, sweetie, it only takes once for your life to get fucked over that easily. It only takes once. And I felt like it was more of like a sympathy train. Like they they were trying to appeal to mothers that lost their children to uh, the other parent for some, some fucked up reason. And she was kind of pushing, like, a bunch of people away, like Zanya, for instance. Like, she would go off at her one second, like, oh, you know, you don't know what it's like to lose a child to your your husband. And she's sort of like blaming everyone else except for herself. Even though she did say at one point, I only used my powers once, and she realized what she did. But she still blames everyone else, and she only talks about how shitty the husband is when all they've shown her is him trying to be a good parent. So I feel like she's a very selfish person from what it is. And I, I don't know, I just didn't like the actress too much. That's, Allison, now I'm definitely going to get shit for Vanya because I'm not a huge Ellen Page fan. I don't like the actress too much if if it, you feel the same way or not. But I don't know, her character just did nothing up until the last two episodes. And that whole Arc with um what was the boyfriend that turned out to be Evil's name. I keep I keep forgetting his name. But like Oh
2: Leonard him.
0: Leonard Leonard Leonard. He was a strong character because they set up for him up for that Big Reveal and he was the one that brought her end of the world out by um shooting a blast into the moon. It's so ridiculous, but I love it. And I don't know. Her character was just... I didn't like the way they wrote her because she's that one quote-unquote outcast and how she always took this medication to be happier or something or to relieve stress or whatever the reason was. And it turns out, oh, she has powers. And she's actually the strongest one. What the fuck? I definitely didn't see that coming. What? No way. <laughs> and I don't know. I... I didn't like her and Allison's dynamic duo. And I'm, I'm like, when she splits Allison's neck, I'm just like, congratulations. Congratulations. You done fuck it up again. You done fuck <laughs> it up again. And honestly, those are my two least favorite characters, but I definitely don't get shit for that. Yeah,
2: because I feel like a lot of people like Vanya, and I just didn't
0: so because much. I, mean, relatable. I feel like too many people on are relatable
2: Yeah, and I, I, it's like I could see why she definitely had problems growing up, but at some point I was like, just stop, just stop. But not to get too deep into all this, um, because we do want to truck it along with the top 10, because I'm sure we got a lot to say with everything. I'm going to uh, shoot over to my number nine, and because it's pretty up there on the list, it's just going to be a small one. And you may laugh at me for this, but I really loved the uh, dance scene between uh, Allison and Luther. That's just what oh, I Oh, that's it. cute. <laughs> I don't know. It's like I know that they're, you know, adopted brother and sister and to say that, you know, they're not quote-unquote family is wrong, but, you know, they grew up in this house. They were very in on themselves. The father clearly never really allowed them to go out except to, to fight crime. So it's like all they knew really was each other. And even from, like, if you wanted to do, like, a platonic relationship, they just, like, had this, like, connection clearly. They were obviously the two that they gravitated to the most out of the family. Um, And when they did that dance scene, it first of all was just gorgeous the way it was done with all like the, the gold lights everywhere. And I liked that it was this kind of, very Dancing with the Stars-esque dance instead of just doing this kind of, like, waltz-type thing. I thought it was just a very nice, beautiful kind of moment, and I really enjoyed it. I was really upset when Five went back into time and it completely erased that from happening because I was like, oh, man, it finally, like, happened. Like, what obviously they've been hinting towards the whole entire season we're finally getting to And it just is now erased completely. But I found it to be a very uh, enjoyable scene as someone who kind of really felt the chemistry that those two actors had for each other throughout the whole season and to see it finally come to fruition. I love that shit. And it sounds cheesy and a little romantic, but I definitely love the dance scene between Allison and Luther and Also, if you noticed in that dance scene, Luther wasn't, like, I want to say. His
0: monster self. He wasn't, like, his beast body.
2: Exactly. So it was kind of, like, definitely they were living outside of the real moment, obviously. It was what the two felt. So that was my pick for number nine. I would definitely like to hear what you have to say about my corny little pick here.
0: It's a bit cheesy. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say here oh, I really like that scene. I, I thought it was very well shot, though, how they uh, didn't do too many cuts and they did a lot of long takes, which I really appreciated because I love when directors, especially in TV, do long takes. And I, I hate to go back to, like, the CW Arrowverse and shit like that, but this reminded me of a scene in the newest season of Arrow. It was, the episode was called The Slab Side Redemption. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Tia. Spoiler though. No. So if you don't know already, um, Oliver went to jail. You know that, right? Yes. You you probably knew that though. Um, this is like I want to say the episode right before the big crossover, I think, or the episode before, the two weeks before. But it was like the last episode in the prison, and it was him escaping the jail with like a, a former villain, like from a past season. And the whole shot is a continuous shot of him fighting from the third floor of the prison down to the last floor from jumping from one end to another, all done in one long take. And I thought it was some of the most impressive shit I've ever seen. And I commend any director that can do a long take shot and the actors, too, for remembering all the things they have to do. So that's why I appreciated this dance scene. So I did get something out of this, not the same exact thing that you did because of the relationship. I thought it was kind of cute not going to lie, but then they completely ripped it away from us, so it kind of was pretty disappointing because it was all for nothing in the end. But yeah, that's about it. And funny fact, it took me three episodes to figure out that Luther's body was chemically formed that way because I thought that was his right the actor's regular body for like the longest time until they showed him like growing into that big monster. I'm like, why is this guy so fucking huge? Did he get, like, growth hormones as a kid?
2: <laughs> he was, uh, so the thing is, I definitely thought that maybe, I didn't I didn't see the whole, like, gorilla ape thing coming, because I've never read the Neither comics. Neither did I. But I thought maybe the whole point is that he's supposed to have super strength, so he's supposed to be mad brolic, and maybe, like, even though it, you see, like, the actor in his, like, normal self, he's pretty cut. Like, he does have a he's, pretty, like, he's pretty strong. cut, yeah.
0: But I they needed him like, to be fucking I don't even know. they the need him
2: to be like massive, so I thought that he was just like wearing like a fat suit or something underneath just to make him like look bigger and we were never gonna see like anything underneath because that would take away from like the illusion. But when they fucking did that, when they did that's that reveal, nasty. I was like, Holy shit And in that case I know, I was like, it's very almost like Beauty and the Beast, kind of, again, not to sound like a crazy little romantic, but it's almost like that, like, she knows now that that's what he looks like underneath, and she still, like, you know, professed a feeling for him, they did that dance, they kissed, So I'm like, okay, she is accepting over the fact that he looks like a gorilla underneath those clothes, so, I don't know, I, I liked it, I know, I see, like, all these things online, about, you know, oh, how could you like them? It's like incestuous, blah, blah. I'm like, bro, there are people out there that are shipping Daenerys and Jon Snow, knowing full well that they're like aunt and nephew or some shit like that. So don't, <laughs> don't come at me with that crap. But that's going to be that's my pick. <laughs> if Kevin were here, he'd be like, I love Daenerys and Jon Snow. Yeah, um, of course he would. Of course
0: he would. Um, but, oh,
2: yeah you know how it is, but, um, it looks like we may actually have Juwan on the phone. Do we got Juwan here? Yes, you do Woo! Oh, shit. <laughs> Juwan woke up <laughs>
1: yeah crazy. this is this is insane. I don't even feel right. It's like an out of body experience, but made your product to <laughs> you, so I'm here.
2: I appreciate that, Juan. I really do. I promise that uh, next time we see each other in person, I will buy you like five cups of coffee. So uh, <laughs> we're pretty we're pretty still in the beginning of our list because Ryan and I have just been chatting this whole time. So just to kind of catch you up, uh, number 10 was Ryan's pick. He picked uh, the characters' introductions from the first episode, and I did number nine, a very cheesy pick. I did Luther and Allison's dance. So that was my pick. Um, if you wanna comment on either before you get the number eight spot. Um,
1: what was ten one more time? I heard
2: your nine of
1: Luther. Uh what was ten again?
2: The character introduction.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
2: Um, all right. Uh I
1: I like both
2: <laughs>
1: I like both of them. Uh they're both at a really good spots. Um for for eight I, I don't know, there's so many great moments of the Umbrella Academy. Um Yeah, there is. Uh and this is top ten moments or or scenes, so I know exactly where to where to go for eight. Uh,
2: yes, the top ten moments, sorry about that. I, I had you on mute no. for a second.
1: Oh, no, 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 you're good. Okay, so for eight, I'm going to go, we're going moments. Even though I kind of want this higher, I'm going to go um, number five at the donut shop. Um, okay. Not only, not only did he show in that moment, first of all, the guy who actually plays number five, um, someone sent him a fan art of Damian Wayne, and he's now been campaigning that. Um, it'll never hear? happen now. Yeah, it'll never happen now it's like, they're trying to make Batman younger. Uh, but if Batman was still Ben Affleck, this kid would be perfect for Damian Wayne. Um, yeah. But just, just the idea of how quickly it went from a heartfelt moment of the, the trucker buying him his cup of coffee and then him killing a bunch of agents. Like, it went so fast, so fast. Um, and it was just great because it, it kind of showed off. I'd say as far as, like, someone who could, like, teleport like that within vacuums of of space, that was the best visuals I've seen since the first 10 minutes of X-Men United, uh, where Nightcrawler was just running through the White House. Um, This was possibly the second best uh, kind of, like, disappear, reappear kind of thing. Um, But, yeah, number five kind of really showed in that moment, like, he was definitely going to be the standout of the season. Uh, if you weren't already convinced with his scenes beforehand
2: yeah that um that's a great uh scene, Juan, just because i I love how it starts off where the <laughs> the donut lady is like, Oh, cute kid, blah blah blah, and it's like these they're not related at all, but they kind of like went along with it because it was a little awkward in a second and five just being like, no, 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 the kid wants a cup of coffee. That's what he wants. And he wants it black. All right, lady. And then I love when the guys come in and the guy's talking about, he needs to come home, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you're not going home. And that whole, uh, the fact that they had the Constantinople Istanbul song playing was so great. And just how he, freaking annihilated those dudes just so, with such precision. It was a fabulous uh, scene to really kind of let you know that just because this is a kid, just because this show, you know, is a bunch of like siblings and stuff, it's not much, I, I don't know. It wasn't rated R, right? Because it's not like any of no, the said. You no, know, yeah. yeah, so it
0: was TV 14.
2: Yeah.
0: I thought it was going to I thought it was going to be M or some, some crap like that. It should've been,
1: but
2: Right. You know. And yeah, but what the we, fact is that sorry,
1: go ahead, Sean. No, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say what was weird about it was it had a rated R feel. Um and yeah. Yeah, you know you know my mm-hmm. biggest problem with with shows like this is the un the like unnecessarily having like whether it's naked scenes or sex scenes or stuff like that. And I thought this show was gonna go that route. Um and then when you know, I I kinda like went off of of Netflix for a second and went back to to finish watching it, and I noticed it said TV-14. I was like, holy crap. Like, there won't be any of that because it's TV-14. Like, this was really brave of them to do, and it was shocking because the show that the Russo brothers produced on Sci Fi called um, Deadly Class, that show is mature. So I was just like, it's so weird, the dichotomy between the two, because you kind of had that feel from the Umbrella Academy that that would be rated R. And Deadly Class would be TV-14. But the idea that they swapped it to is is insane. But it worked. And I hope they don't change it. Keep it TV-14 because it works.
2: It absolutely did. Well, that's, you know, what I was uh, trying to get at was that it was violent and it was shocking but it wasn't unnecessarily bloody but it still was like he stabbed the dude in the eye with a knife and he snapped some dude's neck so it still was able to accomplish this really great like badass scene without having to be unnecessary so I really love this scene I think I actually watched it the other day and it's just perfect um Ryan do you
0: want to comment on the donut shop scene? Well, that seems like the best scene. I would not the best scene, but it gives us the best idea of who Five is—a guy who put on a face just to intrigue someone, but then completely do something else to go behind their back. And this whole, the whole diner scene or donut shop scene, is the best example of that—from him being sweet to the the donut woman and then slaughtering a bunch of task force men the next second. Fucking great scene, great choreography. And what I do appreciate is they don't make him overpowered, because they can easily make five overpowered, and they show throughout the series or season, I should say, that every time he uses his power, it weakens him a little bit. So I appreciate them doing that to make it seem like he's not this bigger force that can just completely destroy everyone else.
1: I will say they they didn't really specify the um, no they didn't excuse me they didn't specify it. exactly exactly how powerful five is um, but I like that I like that mainly because anytime someone possesses the power to to go through vacuums of um, of time and space like I compare five to Flash uh, Tia knows I've made like numerous um, comparisons between. <laughs> the idea of time travel between the two. But the reason why I compare them is if you're not a comic book reader and you look at Flash, you just think, like, oh, he's just really fast. Like, what you don't realize is he could not only stop time, he could go so fast through it that, that like, just touching you could explode your body. So it's like, you know, if you research the Flash, you find out how truly powerful he is, um, and that it's not just the idea of him running fast. So with five, I'm like, all right, well, obviously his power is the idea of, of teleporting through through pockets of space and time. But I'm sure there's more to him than that, and that's what I'm curious to see if they touch upon in season two. Or just traveling through space and time is all that he has.
2: Yeah, it will certainly be interesting, and we definitely hope that we get a second season. That way we can really just more of these characters. But, um, Juwan, great number eight. Ryan, I'm going to shoot it back to you for your number seven pick.
0: Uh, I didn't know whether I wanted to put it here on the list or a little bit higher, but I'm going to put it here because I got some way better moments to talk about. But I'm going to talk about the very end of the season finale when she shoots the moon and they're all standing in a circle together going back in time. I really like that scene, first off. Because they blow up the fucking moon, first of all. They blow up the moon, which is badass as badass as you can get when you're shooting a white beam out of your body. And then after that, they, Five realizes he can try and take them back in time with him and fix everything, knowing now what causes the quote-unquote apocalypse. So they all turn in a circle, and when they're going back in time, they all turn back into the children's selves, including Ben, Which, quick theory, he comes back in a bigger role in the second season, and they explain to him throughout the season, or they explain to us, the audience, what really happened to him and how it scarred him. I feel like they're going to do. And then it comes into this big revelation, and then they're going to lead on another cliffhanger. Not the point, though, but this scene was perfect of Luther holding Vanya, and they were all holding hands as the world was ending around them from them blowing up the moon accidentally, because who can say every day that they accidentally blew up the moon? I can definitely tell you why. I will never be able to say that. But I really love the scene, and I think it gives us a good enough cliffhanger where we don't have to wait, like, two years and be like, I need to find out, I need to find out, I need to find out, because we already have, like, a, a good idea about what's going to happen. Yeah,
2: and I, first of all, that was crazy because at first you really think that maybe Allison was able to stop Vanya when she shot the gun and Vanya collapsed. You're like, oh, okay. Um, But then when she shot the beam out and it shot the moon, then also, and let me say, and I was thinking about this this morning and I was hoping someone would bring it up, but remember how Luther constantly was saying something has to do with the moon but then when you find out that uh the father never actually opened up any of his findings you're like oh that was actually a useless plot but him saying that it was but when you say that it was like all about the moon it was about the moon because in the end the destruction of the moon causes the destruction of earth And right after they transform, you know, not transform, but after they get into that circle and they all kind of transform into their younger selves and they go back in time, then that uh, stadium is immediately wiped out. And it was just kind of this, like, beautiful, like, horrific scene. So I really just thought that they ended it really well. It was, enough, as you said, enough of a cliffhanger where we're like, what the hell? but also um, satisfying enough that we know at least the direction that they're planning on going in. Um, Juan, what's your, what's your thoughts on that final scene?
1: <clears throat> it was a great scene, uh, but purely from the standpoint of, um, like I was telling you when we were doing the review to it, like the idea of time is the same as like, if you guys ever watch um, Final Destination. Wow. Once, death has you, once death has you marked, there's literally nothing you can do to avoid it. I don't know if you guys saw the very last uh, Final Destination where the, um, yeah, the black guy happened to, the to like ones. right yeah. where he happened to survive uh, at the end, and you're kind of like, oh, like he's actually gonna make it, and then like the airplane comes out of nowhere and just like it kills him <laughs> and like everyone in the bar. Um, yeah, time works the same way, and five is going. To, to start to realize that, meaning if time wants something to happen, no matter what you do in some variable, it's going to happen. Um, so whether that means instead of his whole family dying, like two or three people do, time just always has a way of, of rewriting itself. Um, we see that, it, like, obviously not in a superpower world, but in uh, a society today to where it's like time, like, certain elements of, of history just kind of repeats itself. Um, and that's that's kind of where Five is going to find him, himself at. Like, he's, he's done this before um, and the same result happened. So that's why he had the idea, of, instead of just me going back, maybe if I take everyone back, all of us can work together and figure out a way to avoid um, this catastrophe from happening. But Disasteries usually find find a way to to make sure that it happens regardless. But I'm interested to see if Diego, with the idea of time travel, tries to figure out a way to save his um his ex girlfriend. Uh, yeah. And then he'll he'll quickly find out that again time will find a way to still make sure she um she doesn't exist in the current timeline. So um but yeah I, I was telling to you like between Back to the Future and The Flash like those are your best. Best things to watch to try to understand time travel, um, even though those, those two products are both equally confusing when it comes to time travel. Um, but yeah, it, it, it left off on a really great, great, uh, great way. I still feel uh, that if um, what's his name, number one, didn't interfere, um, her sister, she could have gotten, gotten through to her. Like when, when they were staring at each other as she was performing, and then she started to smile. Um, I think if Luther didn't mess that up, that could have stopped everything um, from happening the way that it did.
2: Yeah, I, it, it's going to be interesting to see what changes and what doesn't change. Like Diego's ex-girlfriend, she's still going to die. Is Luther still going to have an accident that causes the father to have to use that serum is then still going to die. So to see where they're going to go in the second season is definitely going to be interesting. I think that they did a good job in the first season of kind of balancing out the whole confusion of time travel. And I hope that certainly they keep up with that in the second season. So, Ryan, I think that was a great Great pick for number seven, the kind of finale of season one. I'm going to take the number six slot just because I love the scene. I actually just watched it before we hopped on this podcast. And I'm going to do the scene of Hazel and Cha-Cha just because they're kind of like the underrated but favorites of the show. And I'm going to pick their scene of them dancing while high as hell destroying that like face eyeball lab. I love the visuals of that. I love just kind of like the funny sort of uh, tone that it had where they're enjoying themselves while setting fire to everything, the kind of way that they even edited it for different shots to kind of get in there. I don't know if you guys really get what I'm speaking about there, but it's just was such a hilarious scene to kind of watch. And it reminded me of a film class that I took back in college where we're kind of in this like postmodern era of film where things are violent and shouldn't necessarily be funny, but the way that they're shot and filmed and acted and even the music that goes, it's, it's hilarious, even though um, they're setting fire to shit like that and essentially really messing up number five's mission when it comes to finding out who this fake eyeball belongs to so that he could stop the end of the world um and i just also loved hazel and chacha's dynamic as a team and that scene is just really solidifies as one of my favorite scenes to watch um but juan what do you think of that scene between hazel and chacha just Setting fire to the place and having the best time because they just ate the uh, the the pot brownies essentially. <laughs>
1: it was definitely hilarious. I mean, those two characters, uh, as we were stating before, kind of feel like kind of felt a little underrated because of how um, great people thought number five were. How some people were surprised that um, Vanya had powers. Uh, I think people really forget that the heart maybe not the heart, but uh, a very important part of the story were were definitely Hazel and and Cha-Cha. Again, when I first heard Mary J. Blige was going to be in this, I was just kind of like, eh, I don't really know how how it's going to be. She's a singer, and I haven't really seen much of her acting, so I was just like, her playing an assassin, that's just really weird. Like, it kind of made me feel like the the show kind of didn't have much credibility, because I'm kind of like, why that pick? Um, but as soon as I saw her, I was just like, I kind of forgot she was a singer and only classified her as like a really good actress in this show. Um, so that's an apology I would like to issue to Miss Mary J. Blige, but, um, <laughs> it, it was, it was so much fun. Uh, Hazel to me was, if I had to pick someone outside of number five, it was definitely my favorite of this show. Um, just his complete turnaround, the idea of, yeah, maybe this whole, just, Killing for the idea of existing isn't worth it anymore. Like, if this is all going to end and we're going to go, I'd rather go out happy. Um, also, I did hear like a lot of people like, why didn't you go after that old lady? Like, couldn't you find someone his age? I do want to remind everyone Hazel and Sha travel traveled through space and time, which means they don't really age. Um, so, Hazel could be like 80 years old. We wouldn't know. Um, I don't think he's. 30, And the idea of he travels through space and time. Um, so he could be any age. So we don't know how old he is. I mean, they were saying the guns that he, were, that he was using uh, that they found was from back in like the 30s. So it's like, they could be any age. Um, but as far as that scene, I really did enjoy the, the scene between the two of them.
2: I have to say that I really didn't mind the fact that Hazel kind of hooked up with that older lady. I found it endearing. He's a, he's a simple man who likes simple things, and he just wanted donuts, and he liked the fact that she was into bird watching, and that sounded like a good life to him. As you said, he's been traveling around time as an uh, as an assassin, killing people, doing these violent things, and he just wanted a normal little life so it never really uh, occurred to me that that was wrong per se because as soon as like i saw him continuously going to the donut shop and just kind of it seemed like he was just ordering donuts just to kind of get her perspective and her opinion on certain donuts and i felt like oh they're they're are they going to touch upon this between them so i had no problem with that at all and as you said you really forget that that's Mary J. Blige as the singer. I think she did an amazing job in that role. And I really hope that they find a way to kind of bring those two characters back in the second season somehow. Um, Ryan, do you kind of want to tell us how you you felt between the Hazel and Cha-Cha scene with them destroying the eyeballs?
0: Uh, yes, I... I'm not going to lie, I personally forgot about this scene until you guys just mentioned it. But Remembering it now, I remember actually laughing at it because I thought of two time travelers getting completely high and crap-based and then just burning down an aesthetics place or a limb place, whatever they're called, where you get limbs or aesthetical for looks and you're missing an arm or something like that. I thought it was a great scene watching it, Especially, uh, they did it in slow-mo, too, right? The whole thing was done in slow-mo, if I remember correctly. To like, capture the ease of them actually being high, and they wanted you to feel the same way they did. And I was completely captured by it. And I'm like, dude, this is is trippy right now. This is trippy. But, yeah, it was a good scene. I really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, I think now that you're saying it was a little bit of a Palomo, definitely kind of how they shot it. Um, I loved the scene kind of prior to that where they were even eating the chocolate and Ben asked, uh, Klaus, you know, what, you know, is, is he going to say anything about the chocolate? And Klaus goes, not until they're high as hell. So they definitely got high as hell and destroyed yeah. that shit. So I thought that was hilarious. But um, Juwan, you're going to get the number five spot.
1: <clears throat> For number five, whew, okay, I'm going to go with, again, I feel as though this could be higher, but I'm going to go with the bank scene. Um, they were so adorable. I mean, I know that sounds weird with, like, the idea that they were, like, killing people, but it was super adorable, Um, especially when, I can't remember the kid's name, but when they go, like, go in there and do your thing, and he's like, I really don't want to, and they're like, go do it. He goes in the room. You see, like like all the tentacles, like killing all the guys in there. Um, and then he comes out super bloody and sad. <laughs> it's just hilarious because <laughs> he's like, I I don't want to kill these guys. And they're like, Go do your job. Um, and then you have um, what's her name? She kind of goes, I heard a rumor that you shot your friend in the foot. And he's like, Huh? And then he shoots his friend in the foot. Like their powers were so cool. Um, and now like thinking back at it, I'm just like. They were just so freaking cool. Uh, I kind of think they were more cool as kids than, than adults, but that bank scene was a lot of fun. Uh, for it to end with um, their father making them known to the world that they were these heroes and now putting so much pressure on them um, to not be kids and to now be saviors uh, was was a really kind of crazy transition from the bank scene to then him... Introducing them into the world, but had a lot of fun watching that bank scene because those kids are hilarious.
2: Joe, on that that scene was actually on my list as well, just because I love that scene. As you said, they kind of were a little more like a little better as children than they were as adults, because they all kind of were these like you know uniformed uh, fighters going into this bank, and again. The music just made this this uh, this show. I was talking a little bit about it to Joel before I hopped on that. W- how they mastered the scenes to go along with certain songs was just amazing, and them kind of just it, the way that the scene sort of ping-ponged between everyone to showcase what their real abilities were was just so cool so badass i loved allison's little moment with the rumor i love poor ben just seems so sad that he had to go and kill all those people with his like monster abilities um and number five of course just being the little amazing shit that he is love that bank scene such an enjoyable scene ryan uh how do you feel about that bank scene
0: Oh, I thought it was one of the funniest scenes in like the entire show. I thought it was great seeing like twelve year old children, like seven six of them, stopping a bank robbery and just completely mass murdering and slaughtering all the bad people in there. It's hilarious. And the whole Ben scene with God, go in, Ben, do it. I don't wanna do it. Just go. He goes in, you see a bunch of tentacles and then he just comes out with Blake. He's like He's happy now. And he's just completely... But I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) And I really hope they bring more of that to, like, the kids. If they do more of the kids' side next season. Maybe. If they do that. But I thought it was a great scene showcasing their powers. Because they all each had, like, their own individual moment between five. Teleporting, hitting the guy. Allison being like, I heard a rumor. And then Ben turning into the tentacle monster. It was all awesome.
2: What I really liked about this scene was, you know, obviously they were quote-unquote superheroes, but it wasn't the typical, almost cheesy uh, superhero scene where they had to all be kind of goody two-shoes and save the day. They were killing people. These little children were killing people, but doing it in such a badass way, and you knew even from the bank scene that this wasn't going to be the um, typical superhero uh, show that we have seen in the past. That wasn't corny at all. It was just, even though it was children, it was just badass. Because, and this may sound, you know, I don't know how it's going to sound, but sometimes I'm really skeptical in watching certain things that come out when the kids are young, are young, young. Um, just because not that I feel like I can't relate, but also just because I don't want these kiddish type stories, but that's not what you were getting at all from the umbrella Academy. And it certainly wasn't what you were getting from that bank scene. So if we do see more of the children in season two, I have complete confidence that we as adults are still going to enjoy the hell out of it. Um, So definitely number five is the bank scene. I know what you guys are talking about. Every time we say a pick, we say to ourselves, oh, I wish this was higher. I wish I was higher. But that's because every single scene is just absolutely fantastic. So the bank scene is just such a good choice. Um, We are trucking along with this list of the Umbrella Academy. I'm so super happy that we're doing this, and I'm going to shoot over – number four to Ryan again.
0: All right. All right. All right. I I want this to be number one, but I don't think it can be number one, but I'm still going to say it right now for the number four anyway. And that was when Klaus accidentally went back in time. I can't tell you how much I love that scene. And I'm going to like put the scene from him being in the bus, and accidentally leaving, and then him reappearing in the bus, all as one scene, and then that little short part, like the first five minutes of whichever episode it was, it was a great scene to add more of a character drive for Klaus to not being a drug addict anymore, this man showing him that there is someone he could love since he never loved his parent, his father, or his quote-unquote relative. And I thought it was fucking hilarious when he didn't know what that box was, and then he, he's just gone. yeah. I'm just like, where the hell did he go, possibly? And, of course, like any other person I binge-watched, and I wasn't too hell-bent on finding out soon because I knew I was going to get to him in, like, an hour or something. So I'm just like, Yo, where the hell did he go? And then the next episode opens, and he's in Vietnam. And I'm like, holy shit, that's crazy, man. And you would never picture Klaus being in war. And you can see it how the war affected him and losing a loved one in the war really affected him. And it brought, when he came back, it really drove him more to to care, but also gave him the feeling like, oh, the one person he did love was taken from him in combat. And it was this great big emotional arc that I really loved from Klaus. And the actor really portrayed PTFD really fucking well. And if I remember correctly, I think the scene of him asking Diego to tie him up was um, after he came back, so was, if, I'm, if I'm being honest. I think it was that. But that whole scene really also showed how much emotional stress him going back in time and going to Vietnam War, whichever war it was, back in like the 40s or something, 50s, how, was, um, how much of the emotional toll it really took on him. And the actor just did a fantastic job showing that. So I commend that guy. Um
2: yeah, definitely I see the thing is when they first did that, right? I didn't really understand where they were going with it, right? I was like, that's oh,
0: <laughs> exactly. okay. like oh shit.
2: I was like holy shit, but the fact that they sent him back to the Vietnam War to me made almost complete sense because you you could see how it affected him and you could see the PS uh the PTSD. Um I'm almost going to add to that, Ryan, and say that I loved the scene where he wanted to go to the kind of bar where only veterans can go to and he was looking yeah. at the picture of, and he was looking at the picture of his platoon and he saw his lover there who I think his name was Dave. Now I can't remember. I don't um, remember but the fact that he was like, I deserve to be here because I, and you find out that he was there for a year. He, it wasn't just one of those things where he just popped up. He was there. He was in battle. He obviously saw some really horrific things. And then the person who got him through it was this guy. And then he had to see his, the only per and he said the only person who I've ever loved. And he has to see him die. And it's, so tragic but it also that scene in the bar was almost like a bonding experience between Diego and Klaus where almost Diego understood him more and that scene where he does ask Diego to tie him up is after when he comes back from Vietnam because he knows that he just can't be on these drugs anymore and it almost was perfect that they decided to bring him back to the vietnam war and not say like world war ii or something like that because you know klaus is a drug addict and not to say and this is going to sound really bad i have to put this out there right now i'm not trying to make any affiliation between the vietnam war and drug use but for anyone who's had a relative who has gone to the vietnam war they all say that the person came back they were not you know, the way that they once were, you do, have, you do find that a lot of them did come back and had to look towards narcotics to kind of cope with the fact of the horrors that they saw because anyone will tell you that Vietnam War really changed warfare for a lot of people. Um, it certainly was different than what anyone had seen before with the whole aspect of guerrilla warfare and just to let you guys know there's some history for you. But I, I love the fact that they decided to send him back to that war and not back to World War II or World War I, you know, wars that we've kind of seen a lot in TV and, uh, and movies. So I did appreciate that. And that was just great, the fact that they even decided to do that. And it really changed Klaus. And I liked the way that it changed him because then we obviously saw his journey to become sober, so that really was a great scene. It was harrowing. It was just tragic. It was sad. I hated seeing how happy he was with his lover and knowing that this guy is gonna die eventually. So, really a great scene. Um, Juwan, do you want to comment on Klaus uh, going back to Vietnam?
1: Uh, not much. It it is a really good pick. Um, because it gave us an arc, uh and an evolution of a character that um kinda was seeming somewhat dull in the sense of everyone else seemed to have been evolving, like going through something. Um and we kinda just felt like Klaus didn't really have that and then for us to quickly go on that arc change, um, was much needed for his story. Uh it, it helped a lot. Uh, in the sense of us going, okay, Klaus now has lost something. He now is more centered in reality rather than the fantasy of whether it's his powers or drugs or whatever. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see him come back from it Um, because everyone else lost something. Diego lost his ex-girlfriend. You could say Luther losing his his father. Um, Vanya never being a part of the family, really. Uh, Allison losing her relationship with her daughter. Um, so everyone just seemed like they lost something. I kind of grounded them, and Klaus finally had his moment. So I, I definitely understand why it's on the way.
2: Do you think that as they go back in time, because now they know what they have to do to stop um, the end of the world, but do you think, it's, it's a two-sided question, do you think that, A, Klaus will then turn into drugs Afterwards, even though knowing what happens in the future, and do you almost think that him unfortunately getting into drugs is almost an integral part of his development and what we saw afterwards, or do you think that he if he had never even gotten into drugs, that he could have reached his potential far sooner than he actually did
1: um
2: well if you're starting with me, I'll say. <clears throat> Anytime you
1: you do time travel, you wanna try to focus in on, on moments, not individuals. Um, because it could drastically change, like, all right, he doesn't go into drugs, but what if he goes heavily into drinking? Um, so it always finds its way to to do something. Um, I could see him telling his younger stuff like, Don't do drugs, drugs are bad like something along those lines, like kinda to be funny. Um but like I said, uh time just it always has its way of, of doing what it feels as though is necessary to the timeline. And Klaus being whether it was on drugs or whatever, is necessary to him further exploring his powers. Um so I I, I don't think you can necessarily stop what's inevitable. Um but I do kind of see them focusing more on a sense of, like, them wanting to tell their younger selves, like, hey, all of this is going to happen. Be prepared. You know, avoid it. Ignore it. Whatever. Um, and then number five, kind of just telling them, like, it doesn't work like that. Like, don't talk to them. Like, don't tell them anything because it could drastically change uh, the future. And I, because then if you go down that rabbit hole, to you, a lot of fans are going to go, well, if it's that simple to tell Klaus, like, hey, don't do drugs. Why wouldn't you tell the other siblings, hey, like, don't be addicted, to Vanya, like, you know, include her. Um, and then that could drastically change everything with Vanya. So I don't think it will be that simple. I think it will be more so Klaus wanting to tell or them wanting to tell them, yo- their younger selves and number five kind of telling them, like, really bad idea. Don't do that.
2: Well, the thing is that You know, they're going back in time and they say that they have to fix Vanya. So to me, that means that they're going to try to show her more of the love, more of the attention that she should get in order to not kind of turn into what we've seen, like essentially like a dark phoenix type of situation. So does that mean they're going back as children and they just know everything as it is? or are they going back and there's going to be another set of small Umbrella Academy children? I think that you and I had kind of uh, went into that a little when we were doing our review.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the biggest thing is I think they it's the illusion of them being kids, but I think they will be adults for a large part of, um, of season two. So I think what would make the most sense instead of having two sets of, of young kids is to have them, once they come through the other side, they're adults. Um, And you weirdly have, like, these adults trying to talk to these kids, like, in a really weird way. But I don't think Vanya's uh, separation between the kids was her biggest issue. I think, because you have to remember, you can't really blame kids, Um, especially when the father is is doing everything in his power. I I think the issue comes from trying to get uh, the father to understand that it's in his best interest to show Vanya how to properly use her powers. Um, So it begins and ends with the father. I believe not the kids. Uh, Because, again, it's really hard to blame kids when the parent is really showing them uh, how to go about life. And the father was showing them, like, don't really talk to her. She's not even, like, human. Like, she doesn't matter. She's just there. Um, So they were only responding to what they were being taught. So I put the onus on the father. And I kind of think that's where they'll kind of try to start from is trying to get him to understand, like, teach her her powers or, like, look, this is what she'll become, like, super powerful and evil. Um, I think that's kind of where you want to start. But, I mean, I, I can't say you're, where you're coming from is wrong because I, I have no idea. Like I said, these were comics, and I never read the comics. So, like, I'm spitballing here. They could do anything. I have no idea. Um, so, yeah, I I. I completely have no idea, but that's just how, how I view it.
2: And just to kind of ask one more question before we move along and I'm going to shoot this over to Ryan first. Um, Do you hope that in the second season we get to see more of the other children who were born from the women who had a, who had, you know, randomly given birth because the thing was that there was about 43 women and the father had only gotten seven of them. So where are all these other children? Do they also have powers? Do they have powers and it was never unlocked? Or what made these seven that special? So, Ryan, do you hope that we may see some of them in the second season?
0: Yes and no. I hope we see them, but then I hope we don't see them. I feel like we've got a perfect amount of people to focus on right now, And I feel like if they want to add a new character like one of the other children, they have to kill off one of the previous seven. Because I feel like once they pass seven, it's going to get a little too much with the amount of characters they want to start adding. Because I feel like they're still not done with the father storyline. So they're definitely going to go back in time to go to the past with the father storyline, the dad, and then whoever's still alive. So if they kill off someone, like let's say if um, Allison did die when she got her throat slit, that would be a great opportunity to bring one of the other char- one of the other children on. So out with Allison, in with a new. But I feel like if we're going to keep the same seven for a little bit, I don't think I don't want to see any of the other children just because I'm still interested in these seven characters that we have right now. Especially Pogo, I want to learn a little bit more about Pogo since they didn't annoy- like go too much into his background with him.
1: But well, I will say, <clears throat> I don't think any of the original seven will be interchanged. I think if they, if like one of them dies, it'll just be, it'll go from seven to just six. I do think if they're smart, again, I have no idea of the source material. If they're smart, the other kids that did exist, if they do have powers, you save them for villains. You have it be that mm. someone else of equal intelligence, like the, the father, went out and and got these other kids um, and manipulated them. And I know a lot of people are going to go, well, why wait so long? Um, And you kind of go, you wait for them to be their weakest. Um, And they're at their weakest right now. Um, So it makes perfect sense that they, you know, they fix time, they come back, the world's still there, and then boom, they now have new enemies um, that are equally as strong as they are. So I think the smart thing to do is, not make the team uh, interchangeable. Just have, if there's other kids that exist, have them either pop in once in a while to help them out or have them just purely be the evil versions of them. I think, the, I think that, story, uh, that story arc is one that you could save for season, like late in season two or, or season three.
2: Um, that's kind of what I was hoping that would happen with Leonard. Because he does mention at some point that he was born on the same exact day. That would, Even though he did go on to kind of essentially be quote-unquote evil, it would have been great to make him a powerful evil person because he was one of those children that was born on the same day.
1: I, I thought it was really weird that they didn't go that route because I'm like, you were building it up. Like, it was... You were you were building it to where like he was the equivalent of the kid from the first Incredibles, um, to where it was like even if he didn't have powers, he was going to manufacture um, something that would give him an edge against these people with superpowers. And of course, his his edge was getting Vanya to turn on her family, which was smart. It was like a very let loose thing to do, but at the end of the day, like. When Lex found out, like, oh, I can't outsmart Superman, that was when Lex made that huge robot suit. So I'm like, I wanted this guy to evolve to where he was like, okay, it's not going to work getting Vanya to turn on her family. So I'll just try to figure out a way to physically try to stop them. And it was just really unfortunate that we never saw, like, powers manifest from him uh, at all. I thought when the lights were starting to bend, I thought that was him. And I was just like, that was really weird. Like, where did that come from? Um, so, yeah, I think that was that was a missed opportunity.
2: Yeah, I certainly agree, and I hope that – I do hope personally that in the next season we see one of them uh, but actually have powers and not necessarily be a companion for them but be uh, a bad person. But that's my personal opinion, so I'm going to truck along with the, uh, the list. Ryan had picked number four as – Klaus going back to, you know, going to the Vietnam War, and that scene that kind of encompassed it. For my number three, I'm going to piggyback on Ryan and pick another Klaus scene, and it's going to be Klaus summoning Ben within the season finale because what I love about Klaus, and I believe I mentioned it before, we mentioned it before, that Everyone was underestimating him because he was a drug addict, because he was a thief and everything else in between. No one really took him seriously. Even when he went to Vietnam and came back, no one really knew what he was talking about. I think Diego was really the only person who he had maybe confided that in. So everyone else kind of just looked at Klaus like, never mind him, whatever he has to say is invalid because he surely can't help us because he's crazy so at that very end when he and i do have to mention really quick it's not going to make it on the top 10 but i do love the scene where he dies and speaks with his father and his father kind of tells him like you know you have all this potential and imagine what you can do if you channeled it so in that final scene it was him It's not just that he can talk to the dead, the fact that he can summon the dead, and in that moment, summoning Ben, and for all of the siblings to see, like, wow, Klaus has powers, and it has just been underestimated since day one. And for him to use Ben and the fact that Ben could physically harm those people, even though he is dead, was just such a badass scene. I loved it so much I was like, wow, this is what he can do. And if he can do it with Ben, imagine him just using that with any person essentially, just summoning them to kind of help within the battle. I thought it was a great scene. I love that he was able to do that. I love that Ben was able to do that. And I love that the other siblings were able to witness him doing that. So I definitely have to put my number three as Klaus summoning Ben in that final scene. Ryan, do you
0: want to just comment on that, uh, that Klaus scene? Um, yeah, I thought it was a really great scene just for the overbuilding arc that Klaus was given throughout the season because other than him doing drugs and trying to ease out and get away all the ghosts and dead people that he sees, um, one of the other great storylines that you just said is him and Ben's relationship. Because throughout the season, you see him getting more physical Ben to the point where I want to think it like halfway through the season where Ben actually physically punched him. And that's when he realized that with a full potential and full power, that he could probably bring dead people back to life. And I feel like in season two, that's going to play a bigger role with not only Ben, but maybe the father. Because if you guys remember correctly, the father killed himself in order for all the kids to come back. And he, I feel like he might have seen a way where his power, causes power, could also bring him back so he's not worried about being dead for a while. It's just a random thought, and it could possibly not even happen. But it seems pretty logical. So, yeah, I thought it was a great Klaus scene, and it really shows the extent of his power because it was a bit silly in the beginning. Oh, he sees dead people. Ha, ha, ha. The sixth sense. But when you start realizing that he could possibly bring goes back to life, that's when he you realize, oh, shit, this guy's really powerful.
2: Yeah, it was just a great scene to see what Klaus's abilities really were and what we can hope to see in season two. Juwan, what did you think about this scene right here? Uh, it was
1: a great scene. It was, it was a great moment for Klaus. Everyone kind of had their, <clears throat> their big moments, and Klaus finally had his. Uh, so it not only did they, you know, now believe him. Uh but he finally showed them like there's more to his power than, than they ever thought before. So it was a great moment in the uh the story arc of Klaus.
2: I was just really happy about it. He he's definitely a fan favorite, that actor which I kind of forget his name at the moment, did a fabulous job at portraying Klaus and for us to see that he can't just simply talk to dead people. I thought it was a great scene. I didn't. Know, I didn't know if they were actually going to put anything in there like that. When they kept saying his full potential, I kept asking myself, "Well, what does that mean? His full potential." So to see that that's what he can do was just a great, uh, great addition to the season finale. Um, Trucking right along, Juan, you actually get the number two spot in our list.
1: Um, number
2: two. <clears throat> I'm gonna go with the moment
1: that number five makes somewhat of a sacrifice <clears throat> to save his family, in the sense of making a deal with the devil. Um, we see Cha Cha and Hazel frozen, along with Luther, Diego, and Klaus. Um, is number five kind has a conversation about going, uh, about not wanting to go back to be pretty much a hitman. Um, and the rules kind of being explained to him that you're not a hitman, you've got to be part of the corporation and, you know, have an office job, and we know number five is, is, isn't meant for that. that. Now that I'm thinking about number five, really, I'm sorry to go off topic, but this kid would be so perfect as, as Damian Wayne. Um, <laughs> he's, he's so tailor-made for it, man. Uh, especially if you watch Son of Batman, like he just seems just like that kid. Um, but it was it was a really pivotal moment. It was number five, someone who seemed very kind of self-centered, a little selfish, uh, making what he thought was the best decision to keep everyone safe. Um, and it really kind of just meant a lot because it showed you another layer of number five, um even though obviously his end end goal was to save the world. <clears throat> so obviously he was doing a selfless act, but it it took him really kind of you know uh, willing to do whatever it took to keep them safe, and I thought that was a really great moment.
2: And that that whole scene was great because I didn't expect for it, everything to be frozen. I was like, hey, what what's going on? Can he now stop time? And essentially, we keep referencing to the Flash. But I'm like, can he stop time and he's just moving that fast? But it's like, no, that lady, which I forget what her name is, but I like calling her the devil. I think that's a good one, Um, where she just kind of pops up and he makes that deal. I think that's a really good scene to kind of also give these uh, layers to five because previously what we've seen is, you know, he's a little jaded. He's a little bit of a hard ass. He's not necessarily, uh, I want—I don't want to say comforting, but he's not necessarily uh, approaching his family with open arms. So not only is that scene showing that he's willing to do whatever it takes to save his family, but also that you know that he has just another plan going on in his head because I don't see five just giving everything up to have an office job in this weird time traveling organization. So definitely that was a fantastic scene to really just show us more about who Five is. Uh Ryan, what did you think about this scene? Ryan? Ryan. Oh Ryan. Unfortunately Ryan's uh call has just dropped actually um, I, I swear, Juan, I said this at some point, but I really think that there's like a curse going on in the top ten. I don't know why. Uh, it's just something that is happening in top ten that apparently. But it, it is what it is. We just roll with the punches here. Um, I'm gonna <laughs> give. <laughs> I'm gonna give Ryan a second to kind of fall back in. But I wanted to ask you a question because I just watched the latest episode of Doom Patrol that came out uh, on Friday. Now, mm-hmm. when Doom, so now when Doom Patrol uh, came out, uh, it came out on the same day as Umbrella Academy did. What do you think kind of are like the similarities? Like everyone kind of judged them together. Would you say that they are essentially the same shows or do, would you say that there are major differences between the two?
1: Not major, major differences.
2: Oh, I was good. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. no. You want to go, 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 go. Doing, go,
1: on, um, go. Go, 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 go. I want to hear you. At first I thought it was my echo. And then I'm like, I thought I just said, you know, not not the same. And then, okay. um, I don't think there uh, – I think there, there aren't major differences uh, between the two, mainly because you look at the Chief. The Chief is the same as the father someone who's kind of closed off, more interested in kind of developing them, uh, not really being uh, a father uh, figure to these, to these characters. Doom Patrol is a little different because they're already adults. Um, but the idea is somewhat the same. You look at the characters, both teams are broken. Uh, they're broken individually, but together they're strong. Um, even somewhat to the idea of someone not really knowing their full potential until later, um, Cyborg is kind of the, the, um, the exact of number five to where he has the most logical sense of what's happening in the world um, and doesn't, isn't closed off like the rest of them are. Um, he was out there doing the, the work while everyone else was kind of doing other things with their lives. Um, he is the prototypical hero that then makes the rest of them heroes. Um, so, I mean, it's not that far off. Tone is different. Uh, Doom Patrol, I feel, is a lot darker, um, which is weird to say because the Umbrella Academy is pretty dark. Um, but I can see if someone, you know, were to say that there's similarities because um, it's not all that different. So, I am curious to see what Ryan says now, now that we know his answer. Um, <laughs> I'm curious to see wh- wh- how he feels about that. So, Honestly, it's not the biggest difference,
0: but I still think there's a he, a big difference if that makes any sense. So, like what you said, Juan, Juan um, when they all swam together in Doom Patrol, they were already adults. They already had like their families and shit like that. They're they're just broken adults, and the, from what I see, they just don't want to age except for Robot Man. So they're always going to be stuck with each other. And it seems like they're not going to die from age unless someone kills them. So they're always going to be stuck with each other. But on the other hand, you have Umbrella Academy, where they're almost forced to be with each other because by the time that father took them in, they they had no conscious awareness of what was happening. They couldn't make their own decisions. But everyone in Doom Patrol did, and they decided to do it because they had this weird belief that they would be better in cap capsule. meanwhile, everyone in umbrella academy is like, the world wouldn't be better the world would be so much better with us out oh, and helping. so they, they both have contradicting sides about do we go out and save people? Will they think we're heroes, will they think we're villains? That's one of the moral things. Another one is the obvious tone difference. Um, umbrella Academy feels like a rated MTV show stuck in a 14 year old's body. It's like this show is like the version of Five an adult in a child's body. This show is trying to be as dark as it can with the TV 14 rating. And I, I actually dig it. I dig it. When I realized that, I'm like, this is a very odd choice, but I dig it. And then you have Doom Patrol that goes full rated R. It's hilarious, especially Brandon Fraser, man. I've never heard, heard the guy say fuck so many times in a single episode. Until I heard saw the first episode of Doom Patrol, but they, the way they both connected is that they're both bro- The both sides of the families are broken, and like Duan said, that uh together they are stronger. But I feel like that the Umbrella Academy kids had more of a family bonding just because they were together as children, than compared to Doom Patrol where they're almost kind of forced together. And I, I, they're relatively not the same, but they are the same. Where you can make the argument where they are, and they're not the same. So it's really confusing. It's really confusing. I'm going. <laughs> well, on also keep point.
1: in mind. Also keep in mind both sides. Neither one of them want to be heroes. Exactly. Um, true. They make it. They make it very clear. And in the Umbrella Academy, they make it very clear because they all went on to have uh, se- separate lives. Outside of maybe like Diego um, yeah, but Diego, Diego you can say. Hero. Diego you can say is kinda like it's kinda like cyborg in the sense of he was the lone hero, like the guy that actually wanted to to save the day. Everyone else kinda was just like, I didn't ask for this life and now that I have a a decision on what I can do with mine, I choose not to be a superhero. Um and the Doom Patrol, once they got their powers, they decided I don't want to be a superhero, like I'm okay just staying inside. For the rest of my life. So, there, like I said, there are similarities, um, but no, it's not a carbon copy of each other if, if that's what someone's trying to make the connection exactly. of. No, it's not a carbon copy of each other.
2: Uh-huh. I will say, really quick before we move on, that I absolutely love the way that Jovian Wade is playing Cyborg. Great casting decision, um, easily. One of my favorites, especially after the second episode of Zoom Patrol. Just so good. So even though we're talking about the Umbrella Academy, if you're listening to this, you should also check out Zoom Patrol because it's amazing. But that being said, guys, we are down to the number one spot. I'm just going to go through everything quick, uh, what we have so far. Again, this is the top ten moments of the Umbrella Academy, which is definitely a great show that if you haven't watched it, If you haven't watched it yet, sorry, there's been a lot of spoilers on this. I guess I should say that before every show. But if you haven't watched it, please go on Netflix and watch it now. Uh, As far as the list, our number 10 moment is the character's introductions. Our number 9 is Luther and Allison's dance. Number 8 is 5, fighting at the donut shop. Number 7 is that final scene, which is just shot absolutely beautifully. Number six is Hazel and Cha-Cha dancing while high. Number five is the bank scene. Number four is Klaus going to uh, going to war. Number three is Klaus summoning Zen. Number two is five, making a deal with the devil, because I really like that you said that, Joanne. And Ryan, you are going to get the number one slot. So I'm actually drawing
0: decided to put his pick at number two because this is – I'm just going to say a quick honorable mention because I was going back and forth between my number one. My number one that I was going to say, but I I quickly switched, connects to Juwan, because after five makes that decision to go back, he goes in and infiltrates them and blows up the fucking place. I was going to put that as my number one when he goes into the the corporation and infiltrates them, steals the papers – and the big bombs and blows up the place. I thought that was a great scene. But my number one pick has got to be all the flashbacks with the father. I want to put them all together because they're just every single moment you go back in time is awesome. I really enjoyed the guy who played the father and I enjoyed the chemistry and like the family uh, initiative and bonding between all the children and the father. Because you all you do in present time is hear the kids say about how much they hate their father, how much of a terrible person he was. But every time you go to the flashbacks, you get a little, like a little, a little dash of salt that shows like he's just doing everything in the best favor of the children. Like keeping Vanya's powers a secret was the smartest thing he could have done, honestly. Because what what would a child do with the power that Vanya had? They don't know how to control their powers fully yet. They At the time of that bank scene, they probably did, but maybe a few years younger and she knew she had the powers, they're probably uncontrollable. So the father did what he thought was correct, was hiding the powers and not letting anyone know to just keep everyone safe. And he wouldn't have created mom if he didn't care because if he was a really cold-hearted person, as they make him out to be, then he wouldn't have even bothered bringing Pogo into the family or even creating Mom to make it feel like an actual family since she is only a robot, but she'll don't always have a quote-unquote mother because a robot does not age or die unless she gets destroyed. So I feel like just he, he wants a family, but he's so hell-bent on these kids saving the world and keeping everyone else safe. That's what his main purpose was. And throughout each, each flashback scene, you got a little bit more glimpse of that between Luther being the number one student or the number one kid, which was probably his favorite since he stuck around and went to the moon for the father. And it seems like the father dad did have an idea of why he brought him to the moon. And it wasn't for nothing. He gave him a different reason for why he was going. But I feel like it was more so for... um foreshadowing how the world ends in retrospect. And he, he knew exactly what was going to happen. And he even brought it upon himself to kill himself just to bring them back together. So I feel like he is a much better, like, character inter- internally, like, within, within himself than what everyone makes him out to be. And that's why I want to put, like, all the flashback scenes with him into, like, one great moment.
2: These are definitely a lot of moments to go through. Um, I can't necessarily remember all of them, but I'm going to highlight two scenes that definitely show a bit of a softer side and maybe kind of adding more depth to the father than what the children, you know, obviously remembered and what they went through. And I was talking about this with Juan when we did the review that if you remember Vanya is a violinist, it's what she does. And the father loved that one woman so much. And when he was going to leave because she was dying, he, she told him to take his violin. So as he's telling Vanya, you know, all these things of how ordinary she is and how she isn't like the others. When Vanya asks, if she can take the violin, he says, yes, and you have to think about the gravity of that. This is not just any violin. This is a violin that belonged to the woman that he loved. Why would he just give it away to someone who he just considered, you know, a burden almost? He let her have it because, in a way, he was giving Vanya a piece of him because it was uh, an item that really encompassed the love that he had for someone. And also, If you notice in that scene, as he take as she takes away the violin, he's almost smiling a little, almost happy that she has decided to take interest in the one thing that, again, symbolizes his love for that one woman. So I definitely, it's one of those things where he was a hard ass and he definitely isn't winning any Father of the Year award, but in the flashbacks, you can certainly see that there was this intention of him just trying to prepare his uh, prepare his uh, children for what they were going to have to face off against in the future. And I know this isn't a flashback, but I still say that I love the scene when Klaus temporarily dies and has that conversation with his father and he's telling him oh dad you know look at everything you've done and the father's like all i ever tried to do was just try and get you kids to your fullest potential and i do like that you mentioned ryan about the mother thing because this man was truly a horrible human being which again i'm not defending him i'm not saying that he was the best father ever but he did understand that his children needed a nurturing figure and he knew that that couldn't be him So instead of having just himself raise the children, he made someone like their mom. He had Pogo there so that at least the children could have two people to look towards who would be more warm, more opening to them. So I definitely understand that. Um, I know that Juwan probably has some sort of thoughts about his uh, decision to suppress Vanya's powers growing up.
1: Uh, well, also, I think you guys are forgetting that Mom <clears throat> uh, was a decision he made after uh, after he um, discovered Vanya's powers. Uh, he needed someone who could be a nurturing figure to Vanya to get her to calm down. Because uh, if you guys remember, um, <laughs> weirdly enough, the toughest thing he struggled with was to get Vanya to eat breakfast. Um, she just wouldn't. He wouldn't eat the oatmeal. Um, So he brought in different female figures to come in. Vanya would kill them all. Um, Then he brought in mom. Um, You know, Vanya used her powers on mom. Mom got right back up. Vanya got scared and ate her oatmeal. Um, So I don't think mom was always something that he thought of being as, like, a nurturing figure to the kids. I think mom was created as someone who could withstand the powers of the kids um, and keep going without missing a beat. Togo, um, I think, was more so of i I don't want to say companion, but was more so of a friend for the father. Um, I, I get what you guys are saying in the sense of he wasn't as, as horrible because, you know, deep down he just wanted the best for them. But when I hear people say that, I'm just like, well, you didn't even try to just be, like, nice to the kids and see if that worked. Like, it wasn't like you were nice for forever and they took advantage, and now it's like, all right, well, I have to be this mean old dad. You just never were nice. Um, and, again, what I think us as viewers keep forgetting are none of these kids are his kids. So it's not like he had the burden of the kids. He went and got them. So you can't be upset that these kids aren't taking a situation serious that they didn't ask for. Um so I mean, I don't give him a pass on that. You could have just been a nicer individual to kids who didn't ask to be here um, or asked to be doing what you're now tasking children with doing, which is saving the world. Um, I get the underlining uh, uh, thing of him sacrificing himself to bring them together. You know what would have brought them together? You being a nicer individual to them as children. They wouldn't have felt the need to want to separate themselves from you so bad. Um, so, I mean, there's just, there's not much of a a leeway that I give him, um, because he just seemed like, like a douche, and it was just unnecessary, uh, and it kind of would have solved a lot of the problems these kids had as they grew up, which was abandonment issues, daddy issues, uh, issues amongst each other, because they were always competing, um, and then treating Vanya like, you know, garbage, like, all that could have been solved if he just parented a lot better. Um, so I will not give him a break on that. Uh, but as far (laughs) as your pick, as far as your pick, I do enjoy your pick a lot, uh, mainly because I think some of the best parts of this show were the flashbacks. It was seeing what led, I mean, that moment between, uh, Allison and, um, God, how, how did I just forget his name? Number one, what was number one's name? Luther. Luther. Luther, between them, when they were kids in that tent, I thought was beautiful. And then, what of course happened? Doucheface Dad came in and broke everything <laughs> up and made them feel horrible. Um, so I mean, the the flashbacks were pivotal um, to explaining exactly why they are uh, the way that they are. So I, I definitely think it's about at number one. Um, and I like I said, I do value the uh, the flashbacks a lot, but. I give the dad no pardon. He, um, he definitely was a truly horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: Juwan, what would you say as an honorable mention scene that did not make it on the list?
1: Uh, I have quite a few. I would say um, when uh, Cha-Cha and um, Hazel were going back and forth, uh, to try to kill each other. I would also throw in the moment at the department store where Hazel and Cha-Cha would try to kill number five. Um, trying to think of what else. I would also throw in when Vanya uh, slit Allison's throat. That was such a huge moment. Um, and then lastly, I would say what I felt was a huge, huge moment was when... Um, you had that moment between Vanya and the family where they locked her in the, uh, in that, whatever that thing, that room that she was terrified of since a child. That was huge because right. that could have been course altering. If you had allowed Allison to let her out and let Vanya tell her side of the story and allow Allison to forgive her, I think it would have changed a lot of what happened in the, in those last two episodes.
2: Right, and, you know, I honestly would definitely put an honorable mention in the scene where uh, Five is kind of running through the uh, time portals, and it has that, uh, what is it called? I love the song, and it's called, like, Run, Boy, Run or something, and him finally getting into the future and seeing how desolate and terrible it is, which just kind of like this really, like, Stark moment. I love, again, the way the music flows with it. And then to kind of add to that, then when they have that other scene where he's seeing that all of his siblings died in whatever, uh, ca- can't even talk, the catastrophe that ended <laughs> the world. Um, and that one, uh, it's a it's a song by uh, In Excess. And I love that song. And it was just a perfect freaking moment, just so raw and so just powerful it was really just a wonderful, wonderful scene. So if I had to put some honorable mentions, that would definitely be it. Ryan, do you have any honorable mentions that you want to throw out there?
0: Honestly, the only honorable mention that I really want to put out there is that, that's, you know, I was talking about where Five infiltrated the corporation and kind of just blew it up.
2: Yeah, that was amazing I mean anything with five in it was just a great freaking uh great freaking scene but I think that yes. we did an awesome job going through the top 10 moments of the Umbrella Academy I kind of want to just quickly get your guys opinions of what you want to see the most in season two I'm gonna start with you Joan.
1: Um well like I said on the uh the review show one thing I do know from the uh the comics of of this show is that they um excuse me they uh one of the villains is a
0: huge uh
1: statue of Abraham Lincoln. Uh so I would definitely like to see how that plays out uh and how much they're able to get that accurate uh sense of like really capturing the visual of that um, so I'd say that is what I'm really looking forward to. And also I want a backstory on the father. Um, uh, maybe his upbringing is why he was that kind of parent to the kids. Um, and more Pogo. Uh, so between those three things, uh, and then possibly like some super powered villains like that, that's what I'd also like to see too.
2: Ryan, what would you like to see in uh season two? Uh, honestly,
0: I don't want to see more five, obviously, but I want to see more of the Ben character, and I want to see if they go in the route of Ben realizing that he came back from the dead. So I want to see him, like, interact with people and be like, I saw you guys do that, but they're like, you were dead. Yeah, but I saw you guys. Me and Klaus were watching, I told you guys that uh, I was still talking to Ben. Because I, if I remember leave throughout the show, he'd tell them that he was talking to Ben. None of them believed him, and I want to see some of that for, like, comedy feature. But, Juan, I didn't know that about the comics about Abraham Lincoln. That'd be pretty fucking sweet if we saw that, though. I'm not even going to lie. That'd be pretty sweet, and I do want to see more of a background for um, how the father came to be, and then throughout that, see how Pogo plays into it.
2: I definitely want to know how Pogo even came to be because I'm really – just interested in finding out was pogo a human that the father turned into a monkey or was he just a regular monkey that the father then turns sentient that's what i'm interested in knowing and then obviously for season two i just i really want to find out how ben died it's bothering me that that's something that was never even like spoken about i mean they kept saying you know a horrific, violent death, but okay, how horrific, how violent, what caused it? My number one theory is still that his monster ripped him out from the inside, but that's just me. Uh, (laughs) But uh, guys, thank you again for being here for the top 10 Umbrella Academy moments. Juwan, what do we have coming up next that you want to really plug for the audience here? Um, we have possibly, uh, well, Tia, you have your,
1: your interview Monday with, uh, the writer and producer of Gotham. Um, oh, shit. we also, yeah, that's going to be huge. We also have, we have a few more things coming down the pipeline, but I want to make, I want to wait till it's, it's actually happening before I get everyone's hopes up and then like it falls through. So for now, I want to stick to he is Huge Monday, and also everyone stay tuned for Full Court Press Tuesday, Wrestling Geeks Alliance uh, Wednesday, another Full Court Press <laughs> Thursday. Uh, <laughs> and then, again, next weekend, Geek Vibes Live and another edition of Top 10.
2: I really wish that I was into sports, guys, so that I could, you know, even participate in your Full Court Press, but that's just not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, the interview with Z Chun, I'm really looking forward to that. And also, I really have to highlight it because I'm super excited for it. The top ten for next week we already have planned is going to be the top ten American Gods moments. As everyone knows, I'm a huge fan, so I'm really excited to do the top ten list that Ryan uh, what do you have if anything you know coming up that you want to plug where can we find you
0: Uh,
2: I have nothing coming up but I'm
0: streaming later guys so come out to my stream I'll be posting on Twitter Uh, if you guys don't follow me on Twitter it is Ryan Wardak W-A-R D-A-K so guys come give me a follow I talk all about movies and video games if you're into that stuff and I'm going to be streaming some Apex Legends so come by And I'll see you guys on the stream.
2: Yes, and please definitely make sure you keep an eye on our Twitter where we are posting all different types of articles. Our website is gvnation.com. We just have a lot of fun giving you the news, opinion pieces on everything, movie, TV shows, comics, video games, and sports. So please give us a moment, Juwan, Ryan. I really appreciate the two of you joining me today, and I will see you both next time. See you. Peace out.
0: Peace.